Dare Companies. Welcome back to Touch Base. We are entering another season of our internal podcast and just some discussions about all the things that are going on with our companies. Uh, we're kind of entitling this one, as you saw on the on the intro, community, like working together. What does that mean for us? And over the next uh, several episodes, we're going to walk through our companies. We're going to walk through uh, various departments and kind of talk about how uh, especially my guest today, how your departments overlap, how you guys work together, some of the strategies that come into play, um, how you may hand off different responsibilities at different times and then re-enter back into uh, the conversation. And, and I think a big part of this conversation is just helping everybody understand how we work together and how we find meaning and purpose in our different departments. Um, and then how we can hopefully maybe paint a picture uh, for whether you are on property or whether you are working at corporate or working in Frisco or wherever you may be, uh, you get a picture of here's how we do things. And so uh, I'm gonna kind of walk around the, the table here for a moment, but I'm gonna let you do your own bios and kind of tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, that way it's not just me making stuff up. So I'm actually gonna start across the table. Oh, okay. And I'm gonna make Drew go first yeah. and then we'll kind of walk our way around to Josh. So tell us about you, what you do here, um, and then Anything else you want to fill us in as far as personal stuff? All right. Um, Drew Anderson. I'm the EVP of Investor Relations. Our job is raising money. We raise equity in order for us to buy these properties. And we do a lot of uh, working and coordinating, particularly with Teams Group, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But I've been here for about three years. Okay. Uh, we've hired uh, Clark Lambert. He's been here for about a year and a half, Billy Humphreys and Matt Peters. So our team that's actually out there raising equity from individuals is grown to four. And we have yeah. two support staff, Susan Llewellyn and um, Maria Munoz. Yeah, and now now just real quick, give me a ballpark figure. When you start talking about the investors you're working with, ballpark, how many would you say we got? Uh, it's a good question. I was just looking at that. We're around 2,000 oh, wow. in our database. Of the 2,000, about 1,100 are active investors. Okay, nice. And that's our goal is just to keep growing that database. Yeah, that's great. We'll go over here. I think most people know who you are, but give us a, <laughs> give us a little bit here. Well, I'm Dave Gillis. I'm the CEO uh, of Madera Companies, and um, you know, I have the honor and pleasure of leading the organization. Um, I would say, you know, this 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 team here, I, I feel like I'm the novice in the room. Um, I don't get to see a lot of the magic that they do, um, but I know they do a ton of work to get us the assets that then we have the honor to to, to take to uh, our residents. So um, it's it, this is going to be a fun conversation for me. I'll learn a lot, um, and and I think I think it'll be interesting to folks. I know enough to be dangerous. I think it'll be interesting to our folks to understand how many deals we actually look at as an organization or Tina and her group look at mm -hmm. that don't come to fruition. Yeah. Um, and I'll be interested in the, in the statistics on that because I know it's probably one out of 200 ish. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that's probably lost on people because they just see what we end up closing on mm -hmm. uh, and don't understand all the work that goes into getting the right deal that we know that they know. And we all know that we can make work from the operations standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. Tina? Awesome. I'm Tina Welch. I'm the Vice President of Acquisitions and Asset Management out of the Frisco office. And basically our team is on underwriting properties and determining which deals, like Dave said, we're going to 
acquire um, and then hand off to Drew. I've been with Madeira since 2014. Uh, started out here in Lubbock in the Lubbock office and then moved to Frisco in 2018. So really excited to be back on the podcast today. Yeah, you're closing in on 10 years. That's awesome. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I, I didn't take it personally that I started in early 2018 and Tina promptly left Lubbock. <laughs> so. I had to make room for all the growth, yeah. all the growth that exploded after. Yep, yep. Josh? Uh, yeah, Josh Vandenberg, VP of uh, Construction. Um, uh, been with Madera since uh, 2019, coming up to my, on my fourth year in June. Um, you know, with regards to the construction department, we uh, work hand in hand with uh, with the acquisitions team at the beginning. Um, you know, help to develop budgets, and then uh, you know, oversee and, and and see through the renovation plan of each asset. Uh, not only that, but help with uh, uh, capex projects once those rehab dollars have been spent. So uh, that's one of the focuses that that, that we are are really trying to to uh, grab our, our hands on to help all properties uh, within the uh, Madera portfolio. Yeah, and I'm gonna come back to that here in a minute when we start talking about how we take care of properties along the way, because I would love for you to kind of build that out a little bit, give us a picture of what that looks like. But but let's first start by talking about the, the process of an acquisition and kind of what that looks like. And so, Tina, we're gonna put you on the spot to begin with all to right. kind of to so, get this going. So tell us, yeah, how does this work? What are you looking at? What are you looking for? All I think things. it starts with, uh, you know, obviously the broker relationships that Madeira has been able to develop over the years. We have a pretty strong network of Texas brokers that we work with. So initially, they're the ones that are bringing us the properties, whether that's on market, they're fully marketed or just off market. Um, so it kind of starts with that first relationship with brokers. And then we start to underwrite and look at the properties. We had a conversation where we went a little bit more in depth, so I'll try to keep it high level. We're basically looking at past, current, and future data. And so for past data, we're looking at their historical financials, rent rolls, like how have they performed. And then we, after that, we go to current data. So we're looking at the market that they're in, how are the current market properties performing, and then we kind of go out to future. We're looking at construction pipeline reports. What is it going to look like in the next three, five, seven years? Because as you'll know, we hold some of these properties for years. And so we want to make sure that we know anything that could potentially impact us as we're holding it through the life cycle. So, so past, current, and future. And we're taking all of that and trying to project what we think the property, how we can improve it, and where we think we can ultimately take it. Yeah, so I want to ask you something, uh, and, and y'all know, like, I don't always ask, I, I, I bring in more questions than I actually tell you about ahead of time. But one of the <laughs> things I was thinking about as you were talking, uh, Charlie Young, one of our founding partners, right, he is famous for regularly saying that every property has a story. And so if you could, and Dave, you could jump in here too, either one of you, but like, give us, give us, when he, when he says every property has a story, what, what does that mean when we hear that? Yeah, it can mean a lot of things, and <laughs> as, a, Charlie's, a as it goes stories. with Charlie's, but um, so some, one of the stories could be a value, the value-add story, which that's where Madeira started on the value-add property, so with that, we would take properties that were underperforming in the market, and we would put money back into them, and construction would help 
on-site would help in renovating them and then bringing them up to market. So one of the stories could be value-add. Um, since we have such a strong management, vertically integrated in the management team, um, some of them are management plays, so they could be mismanaged properties, maybe an out-of-state owner had acquired them and they're just running it into the ground and then we bring them into Madera management and then able to turn that around. And then sometimes it's just a, a relationship, again, whether that be um, an owner that we have a relationship and they're needing to exit the property and they have to let it go prematurely. And then because of that relationship, we're able to step in, usually off market and take it off their hands. So it's a variety of stories, but typically they always have some type of well, either one or sometimes multiple of those three scenarios. Yeah, yeah. So in all those stories, there there is value there for us to go harvest, mm -hmm. and it's you know there are different strategies on getting that. Yeah. Um, so so when you say underwriting, what is an underwriting process like? What is what does that look like? And then who all is involved in that? Okay. So on the underwriting, it's typically just the acquisition team starting out. So that's taking. Um, their T12s, their financials, and breaking them down to see where they're at and then projecting out where we think we can take the property. Sometimes that is with implementing a unit renovation program, and sometimes it's just letting the market do what we think it's going to do. We see the future growth, so we're looking out in the future and what is to come, and we just believe, hey, we can get this at a low enough price that it makes sense for us to kind of invest early into this area and then just maintain it and wait for the future mm -hmm. wave of residents to continue to flow in. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, now also, who isn't, okay, I know what due diligence is, but mm -hmm. let's make certain everybody know, like, what is due diligence? Who all is involved? What does that process look like? Anybody can jump in here because I know several of you are. Josh. Yeah, um, you know, on the construction side, that that's our opportunity to really uh, kick the tires and look under the hood of of an asset. Um, we've really revamped our due diligence process and bringing in pretty much every trade uh, that, that we can think of. Um, you know, we're, we're acquiring uh, newer assets with, uh, you know, different mechanical issues that, that, that can come across that we're not used to and, you know, mm -hmm. our, our older portfolios like elevators or fire alarm systems. Uh, so we're bringing those types of trades out to due diligence to make sure that equipment is a working and functional and uh, there isn't any um, you know uh, issues with with it uh, permitting issues or anything like that um, and B you know seeing how we can enhance those areas uh, to help the uh, uh, asset management and, and, and property management team you know uh, on their projections on um, and so we'll, we'll put together a budget and um, and usually the way that we we put our budgets together is We'll, we'll, we'll see where the immediate needs are. There's maybe some deferred maintenance that needs to be cured. Maybe an elevator's been down for, you know, several months and, you know, that's not gonna be our first thing to go do so that mm -hmm. these residents have another elevator to have access to or um, be, you know, have another bucket of capital to, be, to use to enhance property, whether that's through amenity upgrades, whether that's through um, just exterior uh, rebranding. And that's that's how, my team and uh, Tina's team work together uh, yeah. on that. Sense. I would say during the due diligence, or once we have gone through all of the underwriting and we've put offers on a property, we get awarded 
the deal. Um, that's just a kind of a soft agreement. We're going to acquire it. That's when we start to loop in uh, Drew's team so they can know what's coming down. They can start to think about that. We start to review so they can talk to investors. And then once we're under contract, like the agreement has been signed, that's when we engage all departments. So that's the first time management, construction, finance, um, pretty much everybody gets alerted that, hey, this is the property that we're going to be acquiring. Uh, you know, marketing starts to work on it. So at that time, everyone uh, starts to chip in and see what areas and segmented a lot and everyone pretty much throws their hat into the ring during due diligence. So it's a team effort yeah. definitely to make sure that we know what the property is and how smoothly we can take it over with the least amount of yeah, and, I, and I'm going to give kudos to Josh and Tina on this front because uh, when I joined five years ago, there really wasn't much of a due diligence process. It was really on-site, would go there, try to identify things that maybe you can't see in the trailing 12 months financial statements that mm -hmm. Tina and her team have uh, reviewed just to see if there's any gotchas. And it was always looking for something big. Um, as we started to go upstream, those things that you could miss became bigger ticket items. So mm -hmm. we needed to get more sophisticated in how we were looking at our properties because one missed item could be really big for us. One that financially you may not be able to recover from or could take you a year or so to recover from. So we've really, I think, Josh, you've really dialed in that team and bringing those experts in that gives us a lot more comfort that there isn't something below the surface that you know, that, that iceberg below the surface that could really damage the ship. And that gives us a lot more confidence taking over that property from a, from a management standpoint. You also have the operations team that arrives on site as well. Mm -hmm. Now that they've got support on the big ticket items and the exterior and all those kind of mechanical things, they can focus more on what's really happened operationally. Mm -hmm. um, kind of what's going on with your residents What's, what's the staff look like? Because a lot of time we're trying to retain that staff mm -hmm. and they're doing, I mean, somewhat of a interview plus recruit at mm -hmm. the same time. Yeah. Um, so that's going on and they can spend more time doing that because now they're not encumbered by, oh, I've got to really make sure that we don't have something there's that's just painted over that's about to fall down. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's been a big help because then they can focus on what they need to do to get the operations up. Yeah, and by operations, just to make sure certain everybody knows that we're talking about Katie Myrick and we're talking about Casey Kuhn and their teams and their coming teams. in and looking at specific things. And, and both of those ladies have a, a team of what I would call experts that have been there, done that, been on site at a lot of properties, taken over a lot of properties, sold a lot of properties. Mm -hmm. So kind of know the nuanced things to ask and look for. Mm -hmm. So they're very good at it. And it's a team. It's yep. it's it's a lot of people. It's a short amount of time. So you need to throw a lot of people at it. So you get your eyes in, uh, and questions. I'd like everything. to expand upon that because it is a short amount of time and we have to develop a lot of information. So we sometimes show up with a slew of people and it can be overwhelming for the, yeah. the, the, the seller staff. However, we're in and out and we're gather, gathering all the information as we try and minimize the disruption uh, to the seller's operations as well. So, you know, we want to make sure that we're gathering all the information we can, but getting in and out as quickly as possible. And, and everyone, a part of the due diligence team from, from ops to asset acquisitions and construction, mm -hmm. it's, it's all business to get in. Uh, let's let's take care of business and, and get out and, and 
Yeah, it's a well well yeah. team. Yeah. Uh, and and they have offsite people as well. So and they uh, management is also doing the file audits. So they right. they don't even show up on sites, but they're behind the scenes going through every single one of the unit lease files and making sure that all the paperwork is right, make sure that they're doing things properly. Um, that way we know at takeover, hey, are we gonna have any problems with any of these residents and any fallout? So there it's yeah. a lot of people that yeah. are yeah. conducting due diligence. So when it comes to these uh, being awarded a property, mm -hmm. when you have this, this kind of uh, temporary time back and forth between the soft agreement and then you've got due diligence processes and things like that, I think some of the, I'm, I'm wondering, when do you look at something and see something and go, this is worth continuing going, or you look at something and you go, mm, I think we're gonna step out of this particular one and not go through. What what might bring about that scenario where you're like, this would be totally worth it, let's keep going, or like I said, vice versa, I, mean, I think I, we need to step out. Yeah, I don't think we have ever, Madeira's side has ever said okay. we're not going to, once we get the property under contract, okay. a lot of times we're putting up hard money or deposit money, and so, most of the time we are going to close pretty much 100% closing. The one time we didn't close, it was on the seller who didn't show up to close. And then I think we had to go through a whole process. That was a different process. And we eventually did acquire the property, but it was like a year and some change yeah. later. But um, pretty much when Madeira shows up and, and that's, you know, again, with helping our buyer relationships, because if one of our sellers is on the other side and say, we know if Madeira shows up and gets awarded mm -hmm. the deal, they're going to close. Mm -hmm. And that is our teams really are just making sure that we know what we're taking over and we're able to kind of move, reallocate funds if needed after takeover. But pretty much we're going to buy it if we say yeah. we're going to. Yeah. Well, I think some of that gets back to the relationships as well. So you've got those broker relationships and you're really questioning, all right, if we don't know the seller, you're asking those questions. Are they reputable? And so you you might find surprises, but probably not enough to derail mm -hmm. um, the acquisition. And yeah. I think that's important because uh, on the acquisition side and the under during the underwriting, they, they do allow enough capital to be invested into the deal. So it's not nickel and diming the deal. It's, you know, maybe some overcapitalization to help with any of those deferred items that could come up that we weren't aware of, you know, structural issues or roof or mechanical. And, and that decision can be made after the exactly. sort of the due diligence. Oh, oh, this is a need that we can overcome exactly. to, to that, meet that need versus killing the deal. Because Tina's right. We want to be seen as that that entity that can close a deal and we say when, when we're going to buy, we are going to close. That's worth a lot in the marketplace. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate you bringing that out. It was one of the things I wanted to, I wanted that to be said because I think it speaks to the values that, that I think our leadership holds. It, it speaks to the integrity that we want to have as a company and the type of reputation that you guys are helping Madeira build in, in the community and then especially with brokers. Now, let's talk for just a second because we've talked about this, putting up money and different things like that. Where does, how, where in this process does finance and then investor relations start to get in? Because I know during the awarded piece, you know, that's when you start to kind of jump mm -hmm. in. Um, what does that process look like for investors? And then Dave, I'll come back to you in a second and talk about like, where does the finance piece come in? But talk about your team and how investor relations begins to get in. Well, after hearing all of this, and of course we're very aware of what's going on, but they do all the heavy lifting. So they kind of bring it 
to a crescendo. To a degree, we're having conversations first with Charlie, and he's letting us know what's kind of in the pipeline. Hey, we got this deal. Tina and her team were looking at it, working on it. And then once it gets to a point of PSA, let's say, um, the OM is completed, they get the offering memorandum to us. What we typically do then, and Charlie, we have meetings with Charlie weekly, and he's, he's giving us high-level information, and then we need to start getting in the weeds. And so we'll schedule a meeting just about on every deal with Tina and her entire team, and we'll spend about 45 minutes going over every page of the offering memorandum, and they create the, they create that, and they do a really good job. And an offering memorandum just make like it makes a yeah, 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 yeah. What yeah. goes into an offering memorandum? What are, what information are you making certain investors see? Well, the offering memorandum is built for the investor. Number one, and and they include a lot of narrative on where the property is located, what the demographics are around the property, what the comps are around the property. And then the most important piece that our investors go to is, you know, always towards the back, like two pages uh, from the back, is the financials and what are the returns. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of work goes into that. They have great models. I've seen the models, these Excel spreadsheets that are, you know, 150 plus lines and they all (laughs) reconcile to one another. But I know a lot of work goes into that and they spit out the summary. And that's what we go over with them. Uh, and then we relay that information to our LPs. Yeah, yeah. So f- finance then, when it comes, we're putting up money at different times, but finance is also looking into how we, uh, you know, because you raise what, 30 to 40% typically? Right now, it's probably closer to 40 to 50%. Okay, 40, yeah, okay. In today's market environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, anywhere from 30 to 50%, I would okay. say. So that's what you're raising from the investors. And and what do you say in today's economic environment? Can you elaborate? Yeah, I mean, mean, obviously, interest rates have gone up. Mm -hmm. Um, We're dealing with inflationary pressures. The the lending side has changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Their requirements have changed. They want more equity. They require more equity going into a deal in lots of cases. Or, you know, we want to raise more equity so that we can get a better interest rate going in. Right, right. So that's sometimes the strategy. So right now, I would say we're, we're a little heavier equity driven in each deal, lower leverage mm-hmm. uh, than maybe we were a year and a half, two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing, the scale that we are today, you know, we're, I don't know if I'd call us the gorilla, but we, we move the needle in DFW in Houston. And for us to continue to use individual high note credited investors for virtually all of our equity, it's kind of unheard of. You know, last year we raised in excess of 500 million. Normally someone would look at that and go, you guys, surely y'all are using institutional funds now, aren't you? Aren't you going to Wall Street? But it's a totally different model, truly, than anyone else has out there at our scale.